Hey guys, welcome to the Michelle Durante Show, brought to you back by com. the only place to go to get a car. You can go lease, you can go buy, you just simply have to go online, you fill out an application, you tell them what you want, and uh, they get back to you. They got a 5.0 rating from their consumers, they have a network of, of uh, dealerships up and down the East Coast so they can get you whatever kind of car you want. Uh, AutomaxLI.com. You can go there on the website or you can call them at 631-482-3736. They're located at 238 Higby Lane in West Islip. Guys, welcome to the Michelle Durante Show. I titled this episode An Unconventional Life because uh, Morgan Godwin is my guest and uh, she is a former U.S. Air Force uh, cadet. Um, she won a scholarship. She's smart. She's very, very educated. She should be, uh, she's studying for her LSATs right now. And uh, she's also Oregon's uh, 2020 commissioner of their uh, drug and alcohol policy. And um, what makes her interesting is uh, there's a, uh, a little bit of a history about her that's, uh, that makes it very unconventional. She's a former heroin addict. And um, <clears throat> she got a measure passed, Measure 110, which it decriminalizes small amounts of coke, heroin, and meth. Um, if you want to learn more about Morgan, you can check out morgangodvin.com. But right now, check out this uh, this episode of The Michelle Durante Show. She goes, no, not everybody does. Like, is that true? That's just so that's why it's in. This is a very interesting program to me. So can you explain that to me? Because I know that you are the commissioner of um, the alcohol and drug policy in Oregon. So just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to that. But this is very, very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, you mean specifically our decrim or just whether some people can use heroin recreationally? Just well. That's just that's why I'm having this conversation with you, because some people that was according to her and that was somebody who, you know, so that's like something. But, you know, obviously, I want to know about your background as well. Yeah. So, you know, I joined the Air Force, um, tried to follow in my mom's footsteps, but I got injured in basic. Yeah, It was like the most embarrassing kind of injury. It was just like a huge skin infection on my butt. That's cool though. Yeah, it's super cool. So I have a scar on my butt and I got sent home, not for that, but then they determined I had other non-disclosed past medical conditions that made me ineligible, unfit for military service. Um, So I got sent home, but before I ever joined the Air Force, let's get real here. So I dropped out of high school when I was 16. The Air Force uh, is no joke, though, because you have to take a test to get in. It's not like the Army where you can just go to the recruiter. And I'm not, to, you know, I worked with a guy who was in the Air Force, and you say, shut up, you idiots. I had to take a test. So it's not an easy thing. It's a it's, big accomplishment. It's true. The Air Force is one of the harder ones to get into because it has a higher quality of life, says my mom, who was an Air Force recruiter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. But um, yeah, so I dropped out of high school at 16. I, don't, I thought I was going to like be a doctor or go to medical school. Like I knew I was pretty smart, uh, yeah. but I also knew that I had no discipline. And then my, me and my mom were cast into poverty when I was 16 for the first time because her gambling addiction had spiraled to the point where she got fired for embezzling money from mm-hmm. her employer, uh, which was not run of the mill for us. That was a very unusual occurrence. 
anyway, so I dropped out of high school. I went back and got my adult high school diploma, but I was just messing around for years, mm-hmm. partying hard, cocaine, yeah. ecstasy, doing all the things, and then just going to work every day and, you know, on like one hour of sleep or zero. Yeah, I did that. I just did, I just did weed and cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> and then my father made me take the police test. <laughs> And then, right. So right. then I took the ASVAB and ended up in the Air Force. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he was real with me because I'm not that smart. So he's like, <laughs> you got to do something. You got to do like something, Michelle. Jesus. You just have to have a pulse to get on the NYPD at that time. <laughs> no comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I ended up back home. Um, and I'd already been on opioids from the prescription, but I'd already mm-hmm. adopted long before that. I just didn't tell the Air Force that when I joined. Right, right, right. I was so depressed and despondent because I put all my eggs in that basket of joy. Oh, yeah. And then that got taken out from under me. And so within months, within months, I was addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. heroin. And then that progressed to shooting heroin. You know, I was pretty fortunate in the fact that I don't look like a person who uses drugs, whatever that means. No, I know what it means. Yeah. You don't look, you're young. So also too, I've, I've dealt with people who are, who are, I feel bad for anybody who's addicted to heroin. And I used to look at these guys and it's like, dude, you just, you just quit. You're going cold turkey now, please. I don't want to see you Thursday out here. Yeah. It's, it really bothered me because it's I, like, we, honestly with me, we never locked up possessors. Mm-hmm. if the sergeant was a little greedy and he wanted to get that guy, I would let him do what he had to do first and take the residue and just vouch for that mm-hmm. because it doesn't do him any good to sit in the system. And then you got to take him to the hospital so he can get that bullshit methadone. I asked my other, my friend about that too. She said it was yeah. like having a hangover without the alcohol, like that edginess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Most people don't even have access to methadone. If they did, they would be grateful. Is um, it, it so that that's what I'm that's that's what, interesting to me. So go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You so no. go ahead. Yeah, no, it's methadone is a full opioid agonist. It's very effective. It really does make you feel better. It doesn't give you the same euphoria or right. High, but you're not sick at all. It's just um, like she was. She explained to me it wasn't it. It's like it's like it curbed the sickness part, but you still yeah. had that. It's like having that hangover. You still yeah. the next day don't feel right. You know, you're still off. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just need a higher dose because methadone. Probably it, this was the Bronx. Buprenorphine especially. Yeah. It's like that. It takes the edge off, but you still are like. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's not. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's, yeah. that's you know, I want people to understand that there are these different things out there, but they don't like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to put a nicotine patch on. It, yeah. You know, it's not a hundred percent. And there's a lot involved with that, with heroin, especially. Go ahead. Yeah, no, your, I love this. Yeah. Um, you know, in Canada, they use hydromorphone, which is Dilaudid, and that is a hundred percent, but we don't use that here in America. So we use options that are less efficient uh, based off of moralistic puritanistic right. concepts of what is and is not acceptable. Not, a, not about evidence-based medicine. Right. No, exactly. And see, you have a firsthand experience because you're somebody who, you know, grew up, you went to the, uh, you know, you enlisted in the Air Force, but also too, what happened? You got injured and what did they give you? 
Percocet, oxycodone. I had drip. exactly. I had Percocet. I had neck surgery, and I didn't even know I had it. I didn't even take it because it didn't bother me. But shoulder surgery, it did, and I was very careful. And that's the thing. People fall into that little, you know, that trap. Yeah. You know, at late as of late, people always ask me, you know, is that why you got addicted to heroin? And no, I don't think it is because, yeah. you know, back at home, uh, my graduating class out of my high school, a huge percentage of us ended up on heroin or dead or in jail. Well, those were secondary to the heroin, actually. Um, and so, you know, I think just because I grew up in that sort of white working class neighborhood right. of Outer East County, not Portland proper, but a suburb, you know, mm-hmm. a much more conservative, poorer suburb um that I was pretty much destined to that and especially when people oh so the air force did it to you or the percocet did it oh those doctors no wait my my addiction is more worthy because I knew what to say to get pain pills from a doctor (laughs) that just makes me whiter like and I promise you I worked that even no I know I basic training I I know I know exactly what you mean because I work things too right now. You know, <laughs> listen, I'm not going into in a, I'm not going in, in in t-shirts and ripped jeans to go buy some weed. I'm going to dress up a little bit because I know they're not going to stop me. Yeah, we. Know. I know they're not. You and I, we know how to work the system. So I was right. able to work it and I got max dose Percocet when I was in the Air Force because I knew what to say. I knew the get down. Um, and so and then I, you know, got out and just started buying heroin. So did the Air Force do that to me? No. Yeah. I just have the social and cultural capital to, you know, work. Yeah. But um, so, yeah. So then I was just addicted to heroin for a lot of years. Uh, But again, because I could pass as someone who didn't use, I was able to just keep going, going to work every day, which was the the godsend because I had Mm. cash money every day. So I didn't have to do crime, other types of crime. Uh, I stayed well like that. And I always had my mom as a little bird in the ear, go back to school, do something with your life. And so even when I was addicted, I was going to school because she was a hundred percent disabled. So I got military benefits for education, which I still get to this day. Good for you. Good for you. My birthday. And then I'm too old officially. Um, (laughs) Get what you can. Yeah. And so, you know, and then I realized that if you go to school, you get a whole, you can take out a lot of school loans, which was mm-hmm. very appealing to me when I was addicted to heroin. So oh, just, cool. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So I would just go and take out maximum loans to go to the community college where my tuition was $500. And I would take out $4,000 in school loans every quarter and get my chapter 35 through the military. So it's sort of, I had a perverse incentive to go to college when I was addicted to heroin. And that ended up being my saving grace later in life because I I got my EMT. I was working on going to paramedic school for you uh, because I'd been present for overdoses and reverse some overdoses when other people were running like a chicken with their head cut off. I realized that I keep my calm in medical emergencies. And that's how I realized I would make a good paramedic. Um, but, you know, all good things come to an end. One day I just got off work at Domino's. I was still in my work uniform and I was cooking a shot in my car. Yeah. Not for myself, but for my friend who was the bartender of the bar who was dope sick at work. Yeah. And said, please, God, I'm sick. I'm not going to make it through my shift. They're going to fire me. Can you please come just break me off a little piece? Cook me something so I'm not sick at work because I'm not going to make it. And I'm going to. Yeah, sure, sure. I understand that completely. Believe me. I've never experienced it, but I've watched it. I understand. 
yeah, so I'm there doing my friend a favor, according to me. That's what it <laughs> felt like, cooking up a shot in my car in the parking lot of a bar uh, in Southeast Portland. And I have headphones on, and I'm not even paying attention. And then, boom, boom, boom. And I just look up, and it's a Portland police officer. And I knew right, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Lighter spoon, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I knew I was going to jail, and I did. And then that started my long constant descent into the criminal justice system uh that you know i got put into drug court which really was me getting put into jail a lot i get got a couple felonies got a felony after an illegal search watched a police officer uh completely fabricate a police report to put me in jail uh these all these things i was like wait no the police are here to protect me your word is infallible what is this See, I worked in the South Bronx and it was a much different. uh, First of all, we never locked up anybody for weed. And if the undercover kept buying weed, you weren't an undercover anymore. You were just a regular person who I bought, you know, I can buy. weed. You know what I mean? We didn't go out. We had no time to be wasted on. You know, of course, we went after the street guys. But somebody like you cooking in your car, you know what? I don't have time for that. I really don't, you know. So it was a much different mentality. I'm not saying that that that's been my, that shit was just my experience in the Bronx. I'm sure other boroughs, who knows what they did. I have a different feel for uh, and a different compassion for people, especially with heroin, because I see how ravishing it is. So now now you get locked up and you're in and out of the system. And how did you come to today? to become like the commissioner of of all this, because this is actually a very smart thing because you know exactly uh, the difference. I used to go to AA. I don't drink anymore. The difference between AA and drug and and drug addicts is drug addicts are smarter because you have to think a little bit more. Yeah, because our our drug of choice isn't sold in 7-Eleven. Exactly. It's (laughs) It's a whole trip. It's a trip. I use marijuana. I have no problem with it. I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a trip, though. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not going to the dispensary. We have a medical. Are you, are you kidding me? It's like going to Jiffy Lube and having them come out and say, you got to get your oil. You know that shit? You know what I'm saying? So this is why I, I actually. I like this idea because it's like the safe needles plus one. Mm-hmm. So go ahead now. This is great. Proposition. What is it? measure 110? We have propositions out here. Measure 110. Oh, yeah. So, you know, after what, what finally sent me to prison was I sold a gram of heroin to my best friend, Justin DeLong. And oh. He overdosed and he died later that night alone at home in his apartment because he didn't want his roommate to know he relapsed, I believe. Um, and so I was sentenced to five years in federal prison for delivery resulting in death. Mm-hmm. I did four and a half of those five because it's the feds and that's what you do. Um, and then I got out and I immediately started studying public health and I was just doing uh, falling in love with the field of public health because, you know, I've lost so many people to overdose. I don't want to be a drug counselor. I don't want to help one by one. I oh, want yeah. population level systems level change to help lots of people at the same time so that is what i do now and i was just steadily chugging along and then an opportunity came for me to get um to apply to the alcohol and drug policy commission and i was appointed but most of that that's a very minor component of my life we only meet once a month most of my advocacy is being done just as me as a private citizen 
the commission as a public body, it cannot su support um, measures, ballot measures. So that it had nothing to do with that at all. Um, I supported measure 110 because, because I supported measure 110 because of the life that I lived um, and the devastating effects of the criminal justice system. I mean, going back to what you said earlier, the first time I encountered the criminal justice system, I wasn't the one that got arrested. The third time my boyfriend and I did heroin, we smoked yeah. heroin, he got, I overdosed because I had Xanax in my system from work that morning. I never thought of, I was, I was a kid. I didn't know. I know you just like, oh, you, I, you, I did that with alcohol. Like, oh, you know, oh, this is great. I'm going to try it with this. Yeah. Down with this. <laughs> I didn't even think about combining. I know. I know. <laughs> so many hours before. Anyway, so I'm smoking and I overdose. And he panics. We've, we don't, we're recreational users. Yes. Yes. No, no. We've never seen overdose before. So he freaks out. He calls 911. The police come, they arrest him. Paramedics yeah. revive me. They arrest him. They forward a copy of the police report to the apartment managers. We get a 72 hour notice of eviction, including our roommates, our innocent roommates who have never used drugs get evictions on their record. We get booted to the streets. He was working as an armed security guard. All of a sudden he has a felony. His yeah. license is pulled. He's never doing that job again. He's never, um, you know, yeah. armed anything is out of the question for the rest of his life. Um, and we lost, we, our, we just got kicked so far off our trajectory and we had never been addicted to drugs. And so he gets mandated to these substance abuse treatment programs he's not addicted. He's I, I, yeah. Um, and so, and that really sort of set us off on the life course that ended in me, you know, jail, 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 prison. And so when I saw this decriminalization measure, I thought, oh my God, yes, because if this would have been around back then, my life never would have gone like this. Well, also too, you weren't, you know, you weren't involved in it in the sense that like you're moving weight around. Oh, no, but, you know, the majority of people charged with delivery resulting in death, like I was, are not moving. No, that's what I mean. You weren't. I, I know exactly. That's why it's amazing to me that you even ended, ended up in the federal system, because in the Bronx, that would have been like, just get this guy to get into the hospital. And you tell the guy if he didn't. I don't understand why you would even lock somebody up. I mean, I guess they might have had to because they didn't know your condition at the time. What if it, what if you, do, you know? Oh, no, this is a this. So this is a proliferation of what, you know, oh, my God, the opioid epidemic. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. you. Yeah. And so he, so especially Pennsylvania and Ohio, I'm looking no. at y'all. They are the number one prosecute. The most prosecutions for these laws come out of those states. Well, too, then, because look at the economy there. So it's a very it's a very depressed economy, you know, uh, you know, you Pennsylvania, especially now, all these your Portland, even in, in you know, the colleges, mm -hmm. they're all screwed right now. A lot of these buildings. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, yeah. during COVID and everything, and, and it makes it hard. So especially, you know, like uh, young people, whatever this whole the whole situation is amplified more. I understand exactly what you know, what you're saying and what you're you know, where yeah, you're coming from. I, you know, and I, I see all these things as connected. I'm, I mean, I see almost everything is connected. So I see there has been an increase of homicides this mm -hmm. year, 2020. Well, 
sure shit makes sense because the whole world's been agitated and anxious and we're living with uncertainty and there's conflict on all levels from the micro personal oh, yeah. here and above. And so, yes, and overdoses have skyrocketed. Half of all my friends in recovery have relapsed during quarantine because we've lost yeah. certainty. We've lost purpose for our life. We feel I shit. I feel like I'm in jail. Sometimes I don't have anywhere to go. I sit and I'm chained to this laptop 12 hours a day. Um, and so, yeah, I feel, I feel you can say that I feel like I'm in jail, not like Ellen when she said that and everybody <laughs> bitched. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and, um, I, I'm, I actually have to be careful. I don't typically say that, but I just said that with you because you know what I do and I, no, I can, right. I don't know what I love this. Yeah. I love this thing, but you know what? I've never been in jail and, and yeah. I, and I wouldn't love it if I couldn't go out. I'm actually getting hip surgery and like. Oh. I don't know. It's OK in like a month or so, two months. And, you know, I don't mind like my like I had to tell my family I'm going to isolate because <laughs> I want to, you know, but it's much different. I'm in a different place and a lot of people aren't, you know, and it, 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 I, I do feel for that. You know, I really do. Yeah. So. Right. So but what you said, like the coke. COVID is compounding all these pre-existing crises. So our overdose rates have skyrocketed. This mm-hmm. is the worst year on record in, in American history once in two years when they get the data process because you know it's America and everything's decentralized and that's mm-hmm. terrible and it's going to take two years to figure it out. Yeah. Um, but, and so, but politicians, they're still just like, okay, let's do something. So pe- they're just still locking up people like me, friends, brothers, sisters, boyfriends, yeah. girlfriends, who were the last point of contact as that drug went to the person who ended up overdosing. Not because locking us up changes anything, because it doesn't. I have no effect on the heroin ecosystem. When I was in jail the next day, no one went without. I assure you. No, I know. Like, I know. <laughs> um, but that's, we're just low hanging fruit. So the cops are going after us because it's an easy win. Because you see the text messages in the dead person's phone and they're with me. There's and there's no getting around that in a court of law. Yeah. I very obviously was the one who delivered that gram to Justin. My yeah, my yeah, and into evidence, and that's happening thousands of times across America right now. Except people like me are getting twenty year sentences. Fifteen. See, that's what those are. Those are archaic laws. Those are like the archaic Rockefeller laws. That yes, you know, it's a small amount, and and you know, you're right, and especially in this day and age. Um, a lot of people found like uh, Jersey is, is OK, we're going to legalize marijuana. OK, great. And so right now, everybody in Jersey is like, all they want to do is light a joint, you know, and they make a big deal. Now they got to throw the mushrooms in because the mushroom people just let them use mushrooms. You know, why are we why are we lock? And it's the same thing. Like, but. I think if they would let people use, say, like, hey, what do you need to what do you need just to get you through the day and you microdose it mm-hmm. with that? Is that, a, is that how it could kind of work or no? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. With, I mean, even with opioids. So there's been pilot projects in various cities of Canada and Europe where you're giving people prescription heroin. Okay. So let's back up. What is an opioid? Yeah. What is it? Cause I, yeah, now exactly. So like Coke, you know, I could see people getting killed a lot cause of Coke. I think a lot of these drugs, because Coke is not available as much as everybody has great weed. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets in my experience. Nobody has ever gotten killed over weed. All right. 
And heroin, the, the thing is that's manufactured, right? Uh, yes, it is a natural derivative of the opioid poppy. Right. So, Not but synthetic, like fentanyl. Right. But it's manufactured. Yeah. So you it can be manufactured in a way that it still delivers an amount of potency that would be equivalent to what each individual needed. Oh yeah. I mean, okay. So we have our, our natural brain endorphins are essentially opioids. Mm -hmm. And so the theory is maybe some people just run naturally low or, or right. such adverse childhood experiences such traumatic childhoods that something has happened in their brain. Well, now they're not producing enough and maybe they never will. Hence, okay? right. Highly traumatized people, chronically traumatized. Yes. Um, and so when we look at people like them, and this is usually the people that have the most contact with the criminal justice system, because they're also committing petty crimes. Mm -hmm. They're frequently homeless. So what's the solution here? What's best for society? Right. Yeah. Well, me as a member of society, I get a, I have a vote in this. I say if if everything else has not worked and these people are not getting better, it's that we're we've been left with two bad options, which is this person's going to continue to use heroin every day and perhaps be committing auxiliary crime to support that, or they're in jail at at the cost of the state. Okay. Why not just prescribe them heroin? Yeah. Three, I mean. They'd have to come in three times a day, take an observed dose from a pharmacist or wh what have you. Or like in, 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 in Canada, you can do the little machine with the biometrics and get the hydromorphone, the Dilaudid. Um, mm -hmm. so there really are solutions here. And obviously this is not, I'm not saying like 19 year olds who- No, 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 no. Yeah. Should be prescribed heroin, no. But I'm saying there might be a subset of the population that is better served by just being given whatever they need to get through the day that allows them to be functioning members of society. Exactly. You hold a job. You can get a single room apartment or whatever housing you need with support because all, if you've been homeless for a long time, you need a wraparound services to stay housed. This, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter uh, where you live. You're absolutely right. It doesn't, we, you know, New York opened the Lucerne hotel on the upper East side in a very you know uh, rich neighborhood during COVID, so homeless people would have a place to live, and right away all those people are like, oh, you know, they're doing this and doing that, dude. They're not peeing in the streets over there. Yeah, they're at Penn Station where I'm taking the train because it's more public. You know what I mean? Then they want to live there, and not everybody is doing that. So let's chill out and you know, you live in a city for Christ's sake. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just this funny American tendency to be like, you're my way or the highway. So if yeah, you know how I want you, I deserve Not to be jail or what, you know, it's like, no, I just want to be safe. So whatever it takes for our society to be safer as a whole, whatever these people need to just yeah. get their lives together, including if that is heroin. I know that some people are so scared by that thought. But I know the H, the H here on the H. <laughs> whatever, as long as we can give it to, because you know what that actually costs us? You know how cheap? Morphine? It's nothing. It's pennies. Morphine yes. costs pennies. That's, so the yeah. Heroin is $80 a gram. That's artificial. It's because it's illegal and it's coming up from Mexico and it's passing through multiple, you know, it has to be illegally crossed over the border and then passed through multiple right. Hands. That's why it's expensive. Morphine itself costs pennies, and so you take away that 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 huge expense, and then there's no connection to crime anymore. People aren't right. committing crime because their drug costs pennies. So we do have solutions. It's just are we willing to implement them? But obviously, America is really far off from that. 
our first, the, you know, as you know, organ decriminalizing very small amounts. So heroin is only decriminalized at a gram and below. And when I was addicted, I often bought a gram and a half, which is a half ball. And so even that is still a crime under measure 110. So this is an incremental step. Yeah. Very small amounts of possession. Um, but it is a revolutionary. Oh, oh yeah. Change. Yeah. It's the first time we've, we've acknowledged that the drug war is failing, that what we're doing isn't working, but any Portlander can tell you, look around you. Have you walked outside lately? Yeah. What we're doing isn't working instead of just trying to do it more and harder. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do, let's try something different, something that works. It's also that whole Pacific Northwest. Like everybody is lumped into Washington state and that whole, like, you know, um, you know, the, the, the Kurt Cobain and the, and the Seattle thing. And it's like, you know, they look at, no, I'm serious. They look at that, mm-hmm. you know, and yes, that, and like Philip, Philip uh, Hoffman, the actor, they look at that and it's like, that's, that's tragic. Right. Uh, but when the guy down the block does it, he deserves it. He made bad <laughs> personal responsibility. Right. River uh, Phoenix, River Phoenix is like an icon now. You know what I mean? So it's also society's sc- screwed up um, mentality about it for sure. because especially in different areas like, uh, you know, like in, in the Bronx, it was just straight up regular drugs. It was it was it was crack and it was heroin. They didn't have like ecstasy and all this fancy stuff. <laughs> they, they had old school drugs. And now you start to see what's happening. Oh, let's start microdosing. Mm-hmm. And and so if we're going to do that, you know, maybe those people that can use heroin at a, at a certain, like you said, your brain has certain receptors. The people that I know, my receptors are off because I take uh, Zoloft. Yeah. And I'll take that. I'll, I would freak out if, if I run out of that before my cholesterol medicine. I could care less about that. But that I see the difference, you know, how it, things can get very gloomy, very fast. You know, perhaps at, 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 like you said, oh, no, we're not advocating this for 19 year olds. No, but parents also need to get a little bit more involved about what's in your medicine cabinet, mm-hmm. you know, because um, it also can start there. Yeah, it's, it, it did a lot in the past. Now they have tightened up. Yeah, well, now it's yeah, right, right. To the point where pain patients are suffering and what what's again oopsie bad public policy they tightened up pain prescribing so much that a lot of pain patients turned to heroin yeah and- well yeah 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 like i told my guy I said listen i don't need anything i'm gonna use i'll just use weed straight up because i know the surgery i'm having oh i yeah. told him no i seriously i told him <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to him he goes, you want a prescription for this? No, I don't want that. I did get one of them just in case. He said, please fill it just in case, you know, don't be whatever. But I already know it's it's a hip. It's nothing. But what you, exactly that's what they'll turn to because Tylenol doesn't work. And that, you know, it depends on everybody's threshold of pain as well. True. And I will say American culture, we have t- typically have a pretty low threshold. Oh, yeah for pain when compared to other countries, because we see pain as an optional experience and not a mandatory experience of life. Yes. Um, we just generally take a lot of stuff because you, little- you're absolutely right. Because I'm completely opposite of that. Like I've always, I've, I ran, I, the reason I need a hip is because I ran five marathons. Ah, wow. Steve so Prefontaine is my favorite athlete. I was going to wear my, where the hell is Coos Bay shirt, but I, I didn't. Um, 
gosh, you need a hip replacement because you exercise too much. Exactly. See some people, well, no, I mean, I'm also 55 years old, you know, and I, and I, and I do cross, you know, so I'm different. I'm, I'm much different. So I straight up tell the guy, Hey, listen, I have a different threshold for it, but I know what you mean. Cause people look at me and like, what do you mean? You didn't know. Like I, he had to actually have a conversation with me and say, no, no, no. You can't even run with a new hip. I don't want you ruining the new hip, but that's me. You're right though. Most of society is like, Oh, cool. I have to exercise. I don't have to do anything. Oh, this is great. I can't do it. I got to take a pill. Yep. That yeah. American, look at TV, all the weight loss magic. You just want to take a pill. Oh, take a pill, get more energy. No, do more cardio. <laughs> or, t- or drink coffee. Just drink coffee. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh. But we've been sold that lie and we believe it. Just like we were sold the lie that incarceration deters drug use and it oh, yeah, no. protects society. No, it doesn't. In fact, smack incarceration made us less safer because it destroyed communities, especially black and brown communities up, you know, and I'm sure you can speak to that more than I can because Portland's the whitest major city in America. Um, well, the other thing, too, is I live on Long Island and, and in New York and stereotype. completely white trash. Like they don't want to admit they don't want to admit, you know, I used to I would go running. And, and this is when I lived in Nassau County in uh, and I would go running around my neighborhood and I'd look and there'd be like a dime bag of heroin or a small bag of heroin on the floor, you know, a, an empty glassine envelope okay. in the suburban neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to look at it. But you know what happened a few years later? The girl OD'd in uh, the high school and it was all, oh, oh, I didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know. look at your daughter. You know, because there's the physical changes as well. Yeah. Not everybody looks like you. And I'm sorry, we're not on. We don't have we don't do video because, you know, but you don't look at all like you're you know what I mean? Not everybody. The other thing, too, is where do you live? If you live and you can afford to go to the CVS and get makeup to cover up all the the marks. Yes, me. So I could afford the makeup and the Under Armour. And I had the medical knowledge to say, oh, I have psoriasis. That's why I wear Under Armour in the summer at work. Why are you wearing Under Armour? It's 95 degrees outside. Oh, I have psoriasis. It embarrasses me. No, I have track marks. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, uh, Drug addicts are much smarter than uh, than alcoholics. And the other reason, too, is I also notice a lot of these dealers and and I'm just going to play devil's advocate advocate for a second. A dealer, no dealer, no street dealer wants to sell bad shit to anybody. They don't want that on their hands because then what happens? Everybody comes down on them. So even when you're getting this stuff illegally, like people have to understand. Not everybody has a go to all the time that, you know, the guy and that guy doesn't even know where he's getting it from. Yeah, so the, the drug scene's super different on the West Coast than it is in New York City. Super duper different. We don't have open air. We don't have street dealers out here at all. That's cool. Uh, but still, in fact, and, and so our sort of spawns just it's like friends of friends and it's all people at the lowest like, level. Yeah, yeah. Are addicted to heroin. Um, and then just like buying a little bit of bulk to get free dope that day. Like that's where yeah. our, but out on the East Coast, it's, it, I know that the ecosystem's different, but still those people on the lowest end, right, first, right. they need less than minimum wage. Yeah. This is a proven fact. It's just a low barrier. No one's drug testing them. No one's giving them a criminal background check. They can be late to work. It doesn't matter yeah. if they haven't showered that day and they can still make that money. So, so that's that. But yeah, um, 
Right. But it's just like, first off, it's bad business practice to a kill your customers. Right. And it's also bad business practice to sell them fake drugs. Exactly. Because then you don't get return customers. So nobody wants right. or customers if it to die. But the profit motive in drug dealing is so hugely exaggerated. Um, as long as there is voracious demand for drugs, there will be supply. Well, as that's, long as yeah. quality in the world and desperation, someone will be desperate enough to risk abstract, distant consequences for immediate, tangible benefit. So this supply-sided shit, it, it's bullshit. We need to reduce the demand for drugs. And this is just right. in American culture. We love to mm, take all the things and not feel the pain and... It's a stressful society. It's a competitive society. There's no social safety net. And so we're all freaking out all the time. And a lot of us have no family. We're very independent. Our family has died. We've moved across. Oh, yeah. Um, And so these things are all motivating us to have a very high demand for drugs. And our lifestyle is much different than it was like in the 19, what was in the 1920s when Coca-Cola used cocaine. You know, because now we don't, I don't get, I babysit my niece and my nephew. They're one in three. I don't give them apple juice is a big thing. And we dilute it with water. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to give them a Coke. Mm-hmm. You don't. And, and so I think also to some of this lies on the responsibility and hopefully society starts to do this. Everybody has to really t- like um, take own for their own for themselves. Like if you're going to give your child a soda, you got to realize what the what the risk factors are. Just like if you're going to smoke a cigarette, if you're going to use heroin because you want to try it, you know, some people want to see what's going to happen. They don't want to die. Yeah. So I'm in Mexico right now working oh. on a project. And interestingly, so they have some of the highest Coca-Cola consumption in the world. Oh, yeah. They don't like Diet Cola. Hispanics do not like Diet Cola, Diet Soda. What I've seen things here that I've never seen before in my life. I've seen one-year-old babies drinking Coca-Cola out of baby bottles. Yeah. Um, and so, but that is just a fundamental lack of understanding. Yes. Um, and also it's a, it's a people who are, were much closer to malnutrition, undernutrition. Oh yeah. So now they're, they're, they're transitioning to overnutrition, to obesity and diabetes, but the government of Mexico just made history. They passed revolutionary dietary warnings. So now you go to buy a Coca-Cola, it says not, not suit not suitable for children excess in calories excess in sugar yeah there you go huge labels on everything all the junk food yeah. all these you know who cannot pass those us here yeah because they tried to do that and and they said no you're wasting everybody's time like they tried to do go um mayor bloomberg tried that in new york and they were like no no you're wasting everybody's time really you know, he wasn't wasting anybody's time. He didn't even take a salary as a mayor because he's so wealthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he actually he wasn't making any money. Well, I'm not saying he was the best guy in the world, but it, I know what you mean right away. People are like, oh, they're going to take our Coca-Cola away. Shut up about you taking your Coca-Cola away. Yeah, it's just funny because the, the food lobbies in America are and the pharmaceutical. Oh, yeah. Related. They're so strong that we have direct to consumer advertising in America. Yeah. Someone from England, they think that's preposterous. Why are you getting advertised Zoloft on your TV? You're yeah. not a doctor. What are you supposed to do? Go to your doctor. Hey, 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 prescribe me this. Prescribe yeah, me. yeah. It's, oh, it's- yeah. I went to an old school doctor for a while. And I I, do, I actually, I, I have a psychiatrist, you know, and I had have a therapist. I would talk occasionally, but then after a while, it's like, I'm not going to go to therapy all the time. I can't, I'm not going for the rest of my life. And plus she was falling asleep actually when I was talking to her too. 
<laughs> but anyway, but the whole thing of it is, is that, um, but I know, I know I, I've learned um, what I can do and what I can't do and what my limits are. But like I said, society is much different now. And so it's, it shouldn't be shamed on. Mm-hmm. Everybody looks at the guy who's standing in the vestibule with the needle out of his arm, but he doesn't want to be there. I'm certain, I'm sure he wants to be in a cozy place. Yeah. And, and what- like you said, you're always keeping people down because all those people that are getting locked up at the smallest level, what are they doing? They're the pizza guy. They're this guy. They're jobs that they don't have to take a drug test. You st- you're right. If you're five or 10 minutes late, oh, who cares? They're not looking. They're happy you showed up. Some of these people have jobs where they're happy you showed up today. Mm-hmm. You know, when you toss them in jail, is anything changing? No. Did that change anything? Did they have any power or pull in the world? No, no. No, the only thing like my thing is that it, once the government starts getting involved in manufacturing stuff, well, when does it start to become crappy? What, what, what? Like we have to have private labs do this. Oh, oh. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? There are examples, like look at England. They have a nationalized health well, service. Yeah, but look, <laughs> right now, I don't think it's a good idea to compare our country. Oh, yeah. Not nothing right now. Uh, You know, I know what you mean. Like nobody trusts our government now as far as medically, but they trust, you know, this guy. Yeah. Okay. I'm biased on this because I get my health care through the VA. No, I I get my get good health care, too. Yeah. And really complain nationalized health service in the United States of America. And I get this. It's socialized medicine. And I get it for being a military veteran. Yeah, so people don't that, realize. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this the most American thing or is it un-American because it's socialized medicine for being a veteran? Uh, I know they don't get that. People don't get that. That's the thing. They have these labels and they're so like, what's wrong if everybody gets medical care? Who gives a shit? I don't even use half my medical care. The doctor mm-hmm. said to me, because you want to go to uh, what is that? Pain management. Get the fuck out of here now. And I don't want to go to another set of physical therapy before I have to go <coughs> because I'll go after surgery. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I kind of like to waste anybody's time. That's why medical insurance is so expensive. I mean, there's lots of reasons why medical insurance is so That's one of them, you know. Well, one of them is, yeah, and it's just a bunch of unnecessary it's a bunch of unnecessary stuff now i let's we're done with this for a second because i'm gonna get i know we all have to get going but so you're studying for the lsats yeah i am how is that going it's so hard it's going well i have a tutor who volunteered his services to me because there um there are good people in the world there are a lot of good people in the world actually bright spots in the darkness yeah um, and so he's been working with me every week and my score is improving. Good deal. The test is super hard because yeah, 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 yeah. it requires like a thousand hours to study for, but me, I'm like, okay, I'm in school full time. I also have a job. I do other things. When am I supposed to do this? I'm poor. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but that's just, you know, that's the system how it is, but I'm not taking the test till next year. So I just study calmly once a week and I'll take it next, uh, next September. Okay. And then one thing, so, um, that's cool. So then I definitely want you to come back on this podcast. Cause I had so much fun talking with you <laughs> and it's a really, it, it's really very interesting because I agree with you. Like, um, there are people that maybe want to, they, maybe they, you know, they use whatever they use recreationally at some point though, let them get it and they know what they're getting. 
why do we have an overdose crisis? Right. People do not know what they are getting. 